0: This episode of The Flush Podcast is brought to you by Waltons, Aluma Trailers, Onyx Hunt, and by Nutrisource Pet Foods. Today I'm joined by my friend Eric Locker. Eric has bird hunted his way from Alaska to Arizona, making several stops in between. We'll find out what he learned this season traveling through North America with his pup in search of a huge mixed bag of upland game birds. New Year, Bird Hunters, and welcome back to this week's episode of The Flush Podcast. I'm Travis Frank. I'm your host, Brandon Morton, as always, as our producer. We're both delighted, at least I'm speaking for Brandon here, but we're both delighted that you chose to listen to us today. There's a lot of content out there. There's a lot that you could be listening to, and you chose us, so we're grateful for that. Thank you very much. We hope that you'll take something away from this episode. And I always, at the end of the show, like to throw out um, a call to say, If there's somebody you want us to interview or a topic you want us to cover, send them our way. We want to know what you want to hear. Um, So you can find us on any of the social channels at theflush.tv. That's our website. Basically, if you just do a search for the Flush TV, you're going to find us. Send us a message. We want to hear from you. We want to know what you want. Um, Today is a special day because a lot of you cord cutters out there, now get to watch our latest season of The Flush. Today's the first episode I've been told will be going up on our YouTube channel. Uh, So again, head to The Flush. You're going to see a a button that says YouTube. Click on that. You can subscribe and then you'll receive every episode. They are in their entirety just as they aired on the Outdoor Channel. The season has come to a sad close on the Outdoor Channel, but Now you can stream them, watch them anytime, anywhere, and uh, it's kind of cool because I've heard from a lot of hunters that you know with today's technology, they're watching them from their campers out in the middle of nowhere while they're hunting. Some people watch them at work. Some people watch them at home. Wherever you watch them, we hope that you enjoy it. We have put a lot of our heart and soul into making these episodes possible, and uh, yeah, we're in the works creating our next season right now. It never ends. The fun never ends. Uh, Before we get started with our guests today, I want to let you know that our next live show, Brandon, am I correct here? January 26th at Bear Cave Brewing? Yep, that
1: is correct.
0: All right. January 26th at Bear Cave Brewing in Hopkins, Minnesota. We've enjoyed having these live episodes where you get to come and be a part of it. We Love to meet you. We love to hear your stories. and a lot of uh, a lot of you that have come to the episodes, the live shows, um, there's a mic there. You get to come up and ask questions, interact, be a part of the show, make fun of me, whatever you want to do. Um, we just like to uh, we like to have you be a part of this production. So bring your friends, bring your kids, bring your wives, your boyfriends, your girlfriends. Heck, I think you might even be able to bring your dogs to this next one. I haven't confirmed that on the email, but they have this outdoor, setting that's heated now. Um, And so we'll have to figure that out, Brandon, if we're going to do it inside, which is pretty nice and toasty in there. Uh, They got great food, great beverages. Uh, It's a beautiful setting inside, but uh, maybe we do it outside. I don't know. What are your thoughts?
1: It has been confirmed. We will be outside
0: in the heated area, so you can definitely bring with your dogs. In fact, it's encouraged. Mark your calendars for January 26th. um, And then Brandon, we're also working on a live show again for Pheasant Fest, which, my goodness, that'll be here before we know it. That's mid-February. That's the largest upland gathering in the world. I'm going to say the world. I know it's in the country, but I'm pretty sure we uh, have the largest gathering in the world. And last year we we filled up a restaurant down in Omaha. This year it's in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Uh, Neck of the woods, and we definitely will be doing a live show. At least that's what I'm told. We're working on it. Just trying to figure out a location near the convention center. I'm, I'm, thinking of a fun show, Brandon, and I still have to work through the details on this. But two weeks ago, I was on Ron Bames' podcast, the Hunting Dog Podcast, and he does trivia, Um, and it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. I'm thinking of doing some kind of a game show. I'm giving all the credit to Ron here, but um, there's a couple other morning radio shows here in Minnesota that I listen to when I'm traveling, and they have some some pretty fun uh, games that they play. I'm thinking of making some kind of a mix and doing an upland bird hunting theme to that, everyone in the audience will then be able to interact and be a part of it. It should be really fun. Brandon, are you cool if we do that? I can't wait to start looking for some cheesy game show music and fun sound effects. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, we'll let you know when we have that all planned and figured out. I'll probably, heck, I might even invite Ron to be a part of it. Um, But anyway, uh, let's get on with today's episode. It's the first show of a new year. Our third year of production, Brandon. My goodness. We are up to, let me see here. Am I accurate? We've done 148 of these shows. Yep, you're accurate. We have done 148 episodes together. Unreal. Unbelievable. Just when I think, you know, I wipe my hands clean and I'm like, all right, got that one done. We got to start thinking of the next one because every day it comes. The next week comes so fast; it's unbelievable. But anyway, we're excited to be able to continue producing these. We're glad that you're with us. I know I mentioned that right off the top, but we really are. It means a lot. If it was just Brandon and I talking to each other and nobody listening, I don't know. I don't think that'd be very fun. Anyway, all right. Our guest today is Eric Locker, as I mentioned at the top. Um, Before I introduce Eric, though, I do have a listener that asked a question. I wanted to know if you had any tips for late season hunting with my one-year-old lab. We've done some dummy training and have been out three times looking for chucker and pheasants. I would like to know if you guys recommend doing walk-in areas or sticking to bird farms since he's young. We're both new to the sport. Any advice is much appreciated. That comes from Andrew Mitchell. Andrew, my advice to you would be to... Continue to focus on your your fundamentals of obedience with your pup. And at the same time, as long as that dog has been introduced to birds, then get them out in the field. Go out there together. If you're both new to the hunt, you're both going to learn a lot from heading out in search of wild birds. Set your expectations low. Uh, everything should be fun experience for that young dog. and Hey, you never know. Dogs are amazing. And they might, he might just find that bird for you. And you might have a great experience, a great encounter. Um, as far as game farms or walk-in ears, wild birds, um, in my opinion, wild birds really, really make a dog. Um, you can get them excited. You can build up that drive by taking them Uh, into places like a bird farm that they're going to have a lot of contacts. Um, That's great exposure for that dog, Um, but there's no issues taking that dog out on public lands and searching for wild birds. The more times you do it, the more you're going to learn about the birds, the more your dog is going to learn about the birds. I can't stress that enough about how important it is to get out and hunt for wild birds Um, you know, I, you didn't say where you're hunting, but if there's chucker around, that means you're probably West. Um, you know, you do what you're comfortable with, you know, and build up further from the truck, walking longer distances, longer hunts. Um, but I, I always go back to with young puppies wanting to stick to the fundamentals, making sure that you're holding the dog accountable to the commands that you've taught him, that you've worked on together and then let him find birds and see what happens out there. Um, you know, I would say moving into the next season, you're really going to want to start focusing heavily on your, uh, your training with, with birds. But that first, you know, few months when they're puppies, um, it's supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be, uh, get out there and enjoy it together. And, um, you know, just, just be if possible, lighthearted, if possible. Um, and if the dog makes a mistake, that's okay too, uh, because they have to work through those and, um, it's worth getting out there. Anyway, that's my advice on that. Uh, if you have the chance, don't pass it up. All right, Eric Locker, welcome back to the show. Eric and I hunted together up in Alaska early September. Was it Eric mid-September early September first part of September and you are where right now I'm
1: currently in central Iowa
0: central Iowa that's a long ways from home actually no that's your original home but now your current home home. that's right gotcha
1: um
0: man you have been all over the country this year is this would you say this is the best hunting season of your life or have you topped this one
1: no, this is definitely the best hunting season I've ever had in my life, for sure. What,
0: what made you decide to just go on this bird
1: hunting bender? So it's kind of a couple years in the making. Um, two years ago, I just kind of started doing a little bit of uh, traveling around, went down to Arizona and did some gambles quail hunting in 2020. And I was like, wow, this is really fun traveling in uh, hunting new species, and so twenty twenty one season uh, went back down to Arizona and got to add scaled quail to the mix, but we didn't have a chance to hunt merns and that's kind of what started the plan to do a, a big trip and so I had to be down into the lower forty eight um, the last week week in uh, October and first week in November anyways, and so um, with my job, everything was winterized, and so I had the ability to leave for an extended period of time. So we packed up my family, came down for uh, the end of October. We brought the dog down since we were going to be gone for two months and uh, just bird hunted uh, between when we had to be down here and Christmas.
0: So in the lower 48, I think you hunted eight different species of birds, is that correct? That's right, and squirrels. And squirrels <laughs> and prairie dogs too. <laughs> really? Gotcha. Yeah. So, did you do any work while you were down here? And is, I'm yeah, I did, sure A lot I of did. people were list, that listening right now are wondering if the the company you're working for is hiring.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. So, I tried to keep it at like three day trips and and kind of spread out a little bit and just made it work for the people that I was visiting. So,
0: um. You're you're up in Saldatna, Alaska, and did you drive all the way down here? Did you fly everybody back? How did you get home? We flew. <coughs> you got a vehicle down here?
1: Uh, no, my I've got several uh, family members down here. My sister and her husband and their kids live down here, and my parents live down here, and both sets of grandparents. And so we just borrowed vehicles for local travel.
0: Gotcha. Take me back to Alaska when when you and I hunted together with Evan. Oh gosh, I'm I'm actually working on that episode right now, by the way. And oh, it just it's stunning. I can't wait for people to watch it. I can't wait for you to see it. Um, It just I want to go back so bad. (laughs) I mean, it's so beautiful. I'm looking out the window right now, and I just snowblowed my driveway for the tenth time in the last two days, and we have feet of snow here in central Minnesota feet. Uh, and I'm watching all this video from Alaska and it's lush green, actually very wet, <laughs> too lush. Yeah. Um, but what did you guys do once we left the mountains
1: that day? So, um, after you left, uh, Evan and I had already had a planned trip to, uh, interior Alaska to hunt sharptail grouse and rough grouse. Mm -hmm. And so we climbed in the truck uh, while you guys were headed to the airport, I think, and uh, drove all the way up about 400 miles from where we're at to uh, rough grouse and sharptail country. And uh, this was our second time doing that trip. The first time we did it was in 2021 and it snowed like crazy right before we got there and the birds were no longer where they were supposed to be and it was... A challenging trip, but we did find a good amount of rough grouse, and we did find a few sharp-tailed grouse. So we we're able to at least uh, knock it off the list. But uh, we were, were looking forward to more conventional sharp-tailed grouse hunting in Alaska uh, with some dry ground and grass still standing. This trip,
0: <laughs> when, you so say, we, when you say when you say conventional rough grouse hunting, what do you mean by that, or sharp well, grouse hunting?
1: Well, it would be conventional for Alaska, so um we didn't quite hunt them that way when the snow fell because we couldn't find them in their normal habitat so up there oh I see on uh, the trip before right, right, so gotcha. up there it's uh a lot of windrows with uh grass in between the windrows, and so you'll find rough grass and sharp tails in the windrows, and you'll find sharp tails in between the windrows if there's grass or if it's not been cut for a while Uh, they cut hay up there and so it was a really good trip Um, both dogs still had no clue what they were doing hunting those birds it's just quite a bit different than hunting ptarmigan and there's a lot less bird contacts than we get ptarmigan hunting even though there's plenty of birds up there it just doesn't happen as often and so they're not used to hunting in the woods and the, the scent not getting out into the open for them to, to smell it. So the dogs had a bit of a learning curve, but it was fun to see them sort it all out. And we ended up shooting all three species of grouse up there, which are rough grouse, sharp-tailed grouse, and spruce grouse. Hmm.
0: So three species of ptarmigan and then three grouse species. So you had six. I mean, I feel like you've already, you're up to 14 different species based on what we've just talked about now. Um, right is that something that you have any kind of goal on or do you just enjoy the variety of hunting birds in different terrains and having to outsmart them and figure it out?
1: I, I never have set out to try to get the North American slam or anything like that. And the species that I've shot is just kind of incidentally, like I've never planned a trip around a certain species until uh, this last trip to add a couple different species to the list and so incidentally i just have almost completed my north american upland slam uh without even really trying uh wow, in my life what, so what do you have
0: what do you have left
1: i have sage grouse i have mountain quail i have valley quail and i've shot chuckers but i've not shot wild chuckers so that's still on my list gotcha do you put himalayan snowcock in there I don't put that on there. Uh, I know everybody has their opinion on it. Um, mm-hmm. There's a couple couple excuses I guess I give why it's not on my list. One is uh, it's not native or really part of the upland culture in America, and also, uh, I heard it's pretty dangerous to take your dog, so yeah. that just doesn't really sound fun to me
0: yep no i I understand. Um, so you talked about your dogs having to figure things out. Um, Maverick is is he one now or is he not yet he's, one? He, he's one and a half now. He's one and a half. Okay. And Junie is how old is she?
1: I think she just turned 3. Okay.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. And those dogs, I mean the amount of birds that we encountered up in the tundra, uh, you know, it's it's they're like that listener asked at the start of this episode, you know, like, what would you do? Like, my opinion is to get dogs out there, you know, as long as you're confident in the foundations that you've built in the training, then, you know, they need to go with you. They need to come back to you. They need to stop, you know, those types of things. But then a lot of times they have to work through understanding the, you know, how to get that bird to hold or how to stay close enough um, if they're a flush or things like that, um, and a wild bird will teach that dog more better than anything else. So you talked about your dogs having to figure it out. Um, mm-hmm. you put, you put your one-year-old pup through a lot this year. Uh, how did you see that dog learn through the different terrains and habitats and birds? Um, is there anything that you've taken away from this season with your dog that really stands out?
1: Yeah, one of the things that really stands out to me is um, we we hit new places where he first off had no idea what species we were after and what they smelled like. Um, I assume because I don't know exactly how dogs smell, but I knew he had never smelled that species before. Mm-hmm. And then he also has never hunted that type of habitat either. And doesn't know where that specific species is going to be in that habitat. And so um, that the first challenge that we had was up there in interior Alaska. Uh, those both those dogs are used to hunting open tundra with willow patches and alder patches. And so they can run pretty hard in between patches of cover. There's probably not going to be any birds in the wide open. And so they took that over into um, the windrows. And, you know, how dogs are, they just want to run as fast as they can in the open down a line. And that's what those windrows were like. And so they were really out running their nose. And um, Maverick, especially when he has a bird, if he bumps a bird, he really doesn't like it. Like he was like, oh, I mean, I assume, <laughs> I don't know if you do this, but I kind of like uh, personify my dog, like trying to, put into words what he's thinking and I can tell (laughs) that he really doesn't like it Uh, and if it were me I would say oh man I busted that bird and so I got to make sure that doesn't happen again is what I kind of do in my own mind and so he slows way down when that happens and he starts to uh, hit that cover differently even after the first mess up and he did that on all of the species on all of the trips this fall Uh, He would usually, I could count on him to mess up at least one time right off the Mm -hmm. bat. And then it clicks. He realizes what we're after, especially after um, I've shot a bird. So on almost every species, I shot a bird that he didn't handle correctly anyways, just so that he could understand this is the bird that we're after and this is what it smells like. Mm -hmm. And so once he did that, I found him pointing almost immediately after that the species that we were after and handling them correctly. So it was really neat to see that progression Um, and then it would start over the next species in the next place we were at and then he Hmm. would do it all over again.
0: I hope you've bagged a few pheasants, grouse, and quail this season maybe even a few ducks, geese, and deer too. Whatever you're hunting for, Waltons can help you finish the hunting process bringing your wild game full circle. Whether you need to mix, grind, or stuff Waltons will surely have your new favorite pieces of meat processing equipment. Don't spoil your hard work in the field by letting that meat get freezer burned. Save right now on vacuum sealers and bags. Bag up your birds, your jerky, snack sticks, and summer sausage, and have your meat last all year for long-term storage. Find everything, and I mean everything, you need to process and prepare your meat at Waltons.com. And while you're there, sign up for their free monthly giveaways – And check out what John Tremblay and the Waltons team is working on in their meat MeatGistics community. Waltons, they have everything but the meat. I love my dog, and like you, I always want to make sure that she has what she needs to stay healthy year-round and perform at her best in the field. That's why I feed Daisy Nutrisource high-performance dog food. Nutrisource dog food comes with their Good for Life system that includes four key ingredients that work together to support gut health, heart health, and the overall well-being of our dogs. I have complete confidence that my dog has all of the nutrition to excel in the field and make it through a rigorous hunting season. I've seen it firsthand, and she loves her food. Take it from me and my dog, Daisy. Nutrisource, high-performance dog food, can help your dog reach their full potential. Find the food that's right for your dog at NutrisourcePetFoods.com. Did... uh did you learn anything hunting in the interior of Alaska that you were surprised by?
1: Um well, one one thing that we were really surprised by this trip is we we hunted totally different areas than we had hunted the year before because the birds were actually where they were supposed to be um eating kinnikinnick berries uh, between the windrows and in the windrows and we couldn't even see those berries the year before, and there was no grass. It was all smashed down, and the berries were covered by snow. And we heard that the, the numbers were down. And so um, we, we weren't seeing that many birds, and we just decided let's hit it hard. And there were pockets of birds, uh, plenty to hunt as long as we put in the work. And that really surprised us because, it, you know, we, we could have just not gone because we heard the bird numbers were down and done something else. Um, or we could have started the trip, realized that everybody was right and went home, but instead we just hit it. And we were surprised to find there was actually a decent number of birds. If we just, um, burned a little boot leather.
0: (laughs) Well, I think you burn a little more boot leather than the average person based on my experiences hunting with you and Evan. Um, would a sane person have found as many birds as you guys did? Or, I mean, did you put on like the miles that we did up in the mountains?
1: No, a sane person definitely could. Yeah, we were, we actually really enjoy going to interior Alaska to hunt because it's more like a uh, typical people bird hunt. You know, we actually <laughs> get to wear our vests and we get to <laughs> park the truck, walk out and back to the truck without putting on over 10 miles. Yeah, And so it's, it's pretty fun for us. It's kind of like a, a little bit of a retreat for us.
0: So how did that, how did that hunt rank compared to the ptarmigan hunting that you guys are used
1: to doing? It was, it was really fun, especially to hunt a, a new species and something that we don't get to hunt all the time. Uh, we didn't get a lot of bird contacts compared to what we're used to. And so um, it doesn't rank up there quite with, The best of the trips we've had or that I've had this year. But it still was really, it was really fun to, I think we both shot four sharp tails and a handful of rough grouse and spruce grouse between us in three days. And so it was a successful trip, but nothing like uh, some of the experience I was able to have down here in the lower 48 this year.
0: Well, let's talk about that. So you came down in uh, early October, right? Yep.
1: Oh, in late October, late October.
0: Late, okay, late October. And I remember you texted me because you were going after prairie chicken. Why Why were prairie chicken on your list? And where did you end up going?
1: Yeah, so um, we, when I knew that we were going to be down for almost two months, or for two months in the lower 48, I talked to my dad, who um, he's hunted his whole life. And um, we've done different trips together throughout the years we used to do a lot of predator hunting out west and here in central iowa as well and we did a lot of deer hunting together but we had never we did an elk hunt together but we had never done a bird hunt together like a trip and so i talked to him and i was like what would you think about doing uh, a road trip a bird hunting road trip of some sort and he thought uh, that would be pretty fun, and he's retired now, and they have, uh, him and my grandpa have a trailer that they used to take out elk hunting, and I thought we could use that for the bird hunt, and so we just kind of started talking back and forth, what would you want to do, what would you want to hunt for, and at first, I wanted to try to get him down to Arizona because I really wanted to get back down there to hunt quail, and especially get after Mern's quail, but we both decided that's kind of a long road trip, especially with gas prices the way they are. And so, um, we tried to keep it within eight hours. And so we both settled on, uh, prairie chickens in South Dakota because neither of us had ever even seen one. And, um, it was within that, uh, time constraint. And so, uh, we picked a date and it was, um, right around Thanksgiving time that we went on that trip and we knew it was going to be late in the year compared to when people do really well, uh in like September, right. When the season mm-hmm. opens the first couple of weeks, but, um, we had heard enough good stories from other people that said, if you really are patient, then you'll get a couple uh, birds to hold tight. And that's all we needed. We just wanted to shoot a couple birds a piece and call it good. Mm-hmm. And so we drove up there and it was really neat. Um, I had some Intel that, uh, and people told us that, the uh, the birds were using grain and so if you could find a good chunk of grasslands with the right height grass that hadn't been overgrazed next to uh, a good grain field or especially a sunflower field then you would have success finding birds and so we took the first turn off the highway off the onto the grasslands drove it until we found the first ag field which happened to be beans soybeans and I said, okay, let's figure out where the best grass is. And as we're looking, I look out the window and there's a prairie chicken flying parallel to the truck. <laughs> no joke. And I look and we watch it and it flies right to the top of the hill and lands. And I'm like, well, I guess we know where we're gonna go. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well yeah, that's that's the thing
0: about prairie chicken, they fly from one location to another. Uh, and expose themselves so if if you have a good vantage point um and you can sit up and watch you will a lot of times be able to see where they're feeding where they're roosting where they're loafing you know all that stuff and put together uh, a pretty good game plan without wearing yourself and your dogs out you still have to get close to them though so how did it how did it go down late This, this is november when They've already been hunted September, October. They've already been hunted for over two months now, Right. Um, or around two months. Because in South Dakota, I think it opened mid September. Anyway,
1: um, yep. what were their behaviors like, and how close did you get? So if I had kept my dog close on that first bird, we probably could have shot it. But I wanted to give him a chance to mess up, and uh, so I did. And he didn't and he quite did? have. Yeah, <laughs> he did, and so. Uh, on that first bird he didn't quite have the wind we thought we knew exactly where it was but then when you get up there you kind of get a little bit disoriented which part of the hill was he on? I didn't realize the hill was this big and so <laughs> he started getting a little bit birdie but he was already out like 40 50 yards and he stepped right on the bird and never never even gave indication of pointing and so that bird was gone and then Once that bird was gone, like 30 more got up a hundred yards away (laughs) and we're like, Oh boy, this is going to be a long trip. (laughs) (laughs) Did anything
0: in your mind say this is like, what were we thinking here? Or was it, did you just start
1: to get kind of the wheels turning and excited about the challenge? I definitely got excited about the challenge. Um, by the end of the trip I was like I don't even know if it was worth bringing my dog um I think it was a good experience for him but it kind of goes with the story of um not letting like you get too discouraged because I had to keep him so close the rest of the trip so that he didn't bump birds that Hmm. he really never got a chance to to point one like they all flushed out beyond um where he could get a get a point on him there was times where he got birdie to let us know like there were birds in the area but he never ever pointed one and so it almost made me not want to take him to arizona because Mm. it's a a ton of work to fly with a dog like you got to get a health certificate from the vet approving them to fly it costs a hundred dollars each way to fly them plus whatever it costs to get the health certificate from the vet you got to have them be in the plane for all that long time and then make sure they use the bathroom before and after. It's just a lot of work if the dog's not going to do well. Yeah. And so I kind of got in my head a little bit, um, leading cause I was going to be going to Arizona a couple of weeks after that. And I was like, I don't know if I want to take him, but, um, we'll get to that probably later when we're in Arizona, but I'm really glad I decided to take him to Arizona.
0: Well, yeah, so I think a lot of hunters with young dogs can relate to this. So you're in your mind the wheels are turning, you're are you disappointed? Are you frustrated? I mean, you you I ended up getting dis- birds, but the dog itself, yeah. you know, that part of the hunt
1: changed for you. Yep. So the the first day I wasn't discouraged really at all. He he bumped another pair of birds or maybe there were there might have been three or four of them, but it was the same exact thing. Like I thought I knew maybe where the birds were going to be. And so I didn't quite take him far enough out to get the wind. So part of it's my fault. You know, if he can't, if he can't smell the birds because the wind's not right, that's not really his fault. And so those first two times weren't really his fault. Um, So then because of that, I wanted to keep him in close. And uh, we ended up getting, my dad shot his first prairie chicken out of that spot the first day. So um, we were really excited about that. And then we went on to the next spot um, the next day and we found prairie chickens and the dog couldn't even get close to them. I mean, they were, they were jumping at like a hundred yards, maybe some at like 70 yards, but they weren't even getting up remotely close. And then, um, so I was getting a little bit discouraged about that. But then I kept reminding myself like why we came. We came just to get an opportunity to hunt the prairie chickens. If Mm -hmm. we don't get any, that's fine. You know, but we're not here to shoot a bunch of birds. And so if we're just patient, we'll get our birds. And we turned around after seeing probably, I don't know, 20 or 30 prairie chickens all jump out of range at different times. Uh, turned around and I stepped on just this monster of a prairie chicken and shot it. And uh, it kind of just wiped away all of that frustration and worry about the trip because we both had our prairie chickens. And so, it so was, would you,
0: would you call that, I mean, everyone has a different expectation going into a hunt, everyone, mm-hmm. you know, like, would you call it a success then?
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh, kind of the way that my mind wraps around, um, hunting when it comes with a dog, uh, comes to hunting with a dog is that there's like this evolution of, uh, success. So like your first hunt, if you get to see a bird that you're after, that's like a success in that. And then the next thing would be to actually shoot one of those birds and have it in hand, whether the dog correctly handled it or not, and so that's the success in that area. Then your dog retrieves the bird. That's another success in the area, whether he handled it correctly when it flushed or not. But um, the next thing in the progression would be to shoot a bird that your dog handled correctly, pointed correctly, and you shot it, they retrieved it, and it all comes together. That would be like the evolution that I consider to be success. And so, um, the only thing that we didn't complete in that evolution was uh, I didn't, I never got to shoot a prairie chicken over one of his points. So mm-hmm. that means maybe someday I will do it again, but kind of with prairie chickens, I, I don't necessarily plan on hunting them again. You know, if I have the opportunity someday again, I might, but, uh, mm-hmm. I saw that progression through every species that we hunted.
0: So what made you decide to take Mav down to Arizona with you then?
1: So I have a buddy that lives in Tucson and he grew up quail hunting and he's got a buddy who has bird dogs. And, um, I texted him and I was like, man, I don't know if I want to bring Maverick down. What do you think? Uh, it's just a lot of work and he didn't do that great in South Dakota. And so, uh, he goes, no, you need to bring him. I promise it'll be worth bringing him. And so I trusted my friend and uh, took him down there. And wow, I sure am glad I took him. It was <laughs> the the most fun I've ever had hanging with a bird dog in my life.
0: Uh, well, they are 100% polar opposites of prairie chicken. In right. Flightiness. right. Uh, Mern's quail is the tightest holding bird. Maybe... Maybe Woodcock would be tighter, but beyond that, like they will hold so tight, which um really allows your dog the opportunity to work through a lot of mistakes or um right yeah, i mean it's it's just yes, uh, go on, tell me more, please
1: well, uh Woodcock reminded me that that's how we started our trip is um right before or right after we flew down to the lower forty eight um I went to go see. A friend from college that lives north of Duluth mm-hmm. and so I, I had never gotten to hunt a woodcock flight with my other dog and uh, to be heavy in the migration like that uh, my my old dog when I was in college we used to go up there because the pheasant numbers weren't that great down here in Iowa and so we would go up there a couple times and grouse and woodcock hunt but I never got to hunt migratory woodcock it was just like a few residents here and there early in the season and Mm -hmm. um, woodcock early or I mean grouse early in the season as well and so I was really crossing my fingers that the timing would be right for the woodcock to still be up there and so I drove up that weekend Um, it would have been right the weekend right before deer season up in northern Minnesota uh, so pretty much as late as you can go in terms of right before that people hit the woods. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we got out there, and we found woodcock immediately. Like, it was <laughs> the most hot and heavy woodcock hunting I've ever been a part of. And it was the same deal. Maverick bumped one. I could see him smell it, and then he just kept creeping forward and busted it, and I didn't get to shoot it. And that pretty much corrected him for the rest of the trip. Yeah. That was a blessing. I bet. Yeah. 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 He pointed every single woodcock after that. And you know, when, when they handle them correctly, you can get your limits pretty fast.
0: (laughs) Right. It's, it's easy to get to three. Yes, totally. I've never seen a woodcock hunting season like this one. I mean, it, I don't know. There's, there's so much that isn't known about that bird. Um, You know, we've Mm -hmm. talked to biologists and there's still a lot that they don't know. I wonder if there's, I'm sure there's a way to figure out, you know, their population. Um, but I know some people I've talked to, they're like, it's tough to understand. I would say most people, most hunters this year would, would agree. If you hunted for woodcock, at least up here in Minnesota, Wisconsin, uh, I think Michigan too, um, you know, even on the East, East Coast. But man, there was a lot of woodcock in the woods this year. It was uh, so
1: fun. One of the observations I had with woodcock and my dog, and I, I think it really helped him when it come, came to going to Arizona, is that he's used to birds not holding that tight. Like the ptarmigan, when he points them, they'll start making noise or start moving. And so he knows where they're at and knows to hold when we get in there. But on the first uh, ones that he didn't handle quite correctly, he, he would start creeping when we got close, like, okay, I must be ru- like, I'm per- personifying my dog again, but yeah. <laughs> um, what I'm thinking the dog is thinking is he's not trusting his nose because we come in and the bird's holding, the woodcock's holding so tight that he thinks he might be wrong, that the bird's not there because he's used to us coming in, the bird's flushing way earlier, that he would start to move and then he would bust the bird. Now we were in range and so it wasn't extremely frustrating, but he learned really quick. Okay. They are here. I just got to stay still and they'll, they'll get it up. Yeah. Yep. And that, that really helped in Arizona because he didn't, he didn't act that way in Arizona. He just trusted that the birds were there. Gotcha.
0: And that's your first time hunting for Mern's quail down there. So, um, Based on the fact that you don't have a lot of experience, is it because your friend that was down there that you trusted him on where to go? Or did you guys do some research together to try to figure out how you wanted to approach this?
1: I, I definitely had a lot of help from him who's, who's lived down there and his buddy that uh, he's still his, so my friend's friend um, is 76 years old and he's still bird hunting. Um, so he has a lot of experience down there and has a lot of different spots that he's hunted them in the past. Um, he happened to not hunt merns for a few years when the the numbers weren't that great down there. And, you know, at 76 years old, you can't quite cover as much ground as you used to. And so it's a lot harder to find them if you're not covering as much ground as you used to. Or, mm-hmm. you know, when I'm 76, I hope to even be able to get out, but, um, climbing up and down those canyons, you know, that would be amazing to be able to still be doing that at 76.
0: Well, if you um, if your body is holding up and you're still doing what you do in Alaska, those canyons are nothing in Arizona.
1: <laughs> true. True. <laughs> so, did we, uh, did that
0: did that guy that the um friend of a friend that 76 did he mention when you guys were hunting cuz I know you got into a lot of birds. Did he mention how it compared to previous seasons? Was he surprised at how many birds you found?
1: he was really surprised. So that was their, uh, second trip out for the year. Uh, the first, first trip, they went to a totally different spot in the same region, um, and found some birds, but not, not a lot of birds. And he was, he was thinking that the numbers might be up, but we were, he wasn't going to be sure until we hit the next spot. And so, uh, we went to one of his spots that he could compare to from previous years. And I think he said he hadn't been to that spot in like four or five years. And so we went there and we found nine coveys in a half a day, which Jeez. he was ecstatic about. And I was really surprised. Like, And they are all really good sized coveys. Wow. Hmm. Did you hunt for gambles or scaled quail or was it just merns? We hunted all three. So uh, the first day, uh, we I got in super early in the morning. Uh, I think I didn't go to sleep until 4 a.m. So we slept in and then did a half a day for gambles in the Tucson area when we first got there. And so uh, we shot gambles that day. And then the next morning is when we went after Mearns. Uh, so we shot Merns that day and that was just such a fun experience like the best upland bird hunting I've ever had in my life. Um, (laughs) Why is that? I just have I mean I've had a bird dog in my life before um, primarily hunted pheasants with her growing up and then we got to do a little bit of woodcock and grouse hunting and I, I don't even ever remember her pointing a woodcock and we did like one Bob White Quail hunt down in Kansas when I was in college, and she never pointed one. I don't know if it was the conditions or if she just couldn't figure it out, but I had never hunted quail behind uh, a pointing dog of my own, and so once he figured it out, it was just so rewarding to um, have him point the covey, them get up, and um the coveys were big enough that we did. Uh, take a couple singles out of the group so he would reload, relocate the singles, and then we'd, we'd shoot them. And um, oh man, it's just so fun to follow them around and for them to hold that tight and so exciting when they flush.
0: If you've used the Onyx Hunt app before, then you realize how valuable it is in the field when you're hunting and all of the information that it shows you. And now Onyx just released a new feature. If you run the Onyx Hunt app on an iPhone, You now have Apple CarPlay. Yep, the app now works on the dash in your vehicle. And if you have an Android or a phone that's not an iPhone, they're working on the exact same thing that will be released soon. So instead of holding onto your phone, trying to understand who owns which property, it's right there on the dash. Just like the maps that you would see on Google Maps or Waze or whatever um navigation system you use in your vehicle. Now you just touch the Onyx app. If you don't have it in your car yet, all you have to do is go into your phone and update the app, and it will automatically show up. Click the on X, the red X, and you're good to go. All of the layers that you have and all of the waypoints are going to show up on the map, just like if you're using it on your phone. Onyx maps work in the field and now they work in your vehicle too onyx hunt always helps you to know where you stand if you're an outdoor lover on the go then odds are good that you have toys and equipment that you want to haul aluma trailers well they've got you covered their trailers are built by a hard working team in bancroft iowa they have models for nearly any and every hauling need from atv and utv trailers to utility snowmobile motorcycle car trailers and even fully enclosed trailers like mine Trust me when I say that, Aluma trailers tow like a dream. Their trailers are constructed out of lightweight, strong, corrosion-resistant aluminum, and they are 100% maintenance-free. Plus, they come with an industry-best five-year warranty. Visit alumaklm.com to find a trailer that fits your needs. Did it take him, your dog, being a puppy, You know, after being put in the crate, put in an airplane, flown down there? Did it take him a little while to adjust to that? I know some people question, you know, what will my dog do? Will, will they be able to handle the flight? I've heard some people say my dog would die of anxiety inside of that yeah. before we landed. You know, does, what does has your flying experience been like with a dog?
1: So the first time we flew with Maverick, he was five months old. Um, we got him in Iowa when he was five months old and then flew him back to Alaska last January. And... He, he was really anxious when he got off the plane in Alaska, like would not leave my side. And obviously he was more of a puppy then. And I, I started, you know, rethinking, I don't know if I ever want to fly with him again. And I had read that all dogs kind of handle it differently. Um, dogs that live in a crate a lot of their life, like sleep in a crate at night, etc., do a lot better because they're in their safe place while they're flying in the crate. And so I really wanted to make sure that I did that to be able to fly with him in the future. And so he sleeps in his crate every night and spends a lot of time in there. I was hoping that this fall he would be able to handle it pretty well. And so um, we flew with him from Alaska down here and didn't even phase him at all this time. Like, Hmm was not he just had to use the bathroom really bad (laughs) that was the only thing (laughs) and so he we had about a two-hour drive from the airport to where my parents live and so he went out went to the bathroom jumped right back into the kennel again we drove two hours after he had just been on the plane for like eight hours so didn't bother him at all and then same thing in Arizona like I think once they get used to it it's it's not a big deal
0: is there a certain airline that you prefer to fly your dogs?
1: Definitely. And so this is good information for people that are interested in flying their dogs is Alaska Airlines is really the only airliner that is pet friendly. Um, I think it's not impossible with other airlines. I looked into American Airlines uh, a while back because they had cheaper airfare than Alaska for a particular flight. And it is a nightmare to try to figure out how to fly with a dog on American airlines. Um, you have to, you, so I'll, I'll give you what you do for Alaska first. Um, so for Alaska airlines, after you book your tickets, so whenever that is, you just call them up and say, this is my record locator number and, or confirmation number. And I need to add a pet to the reservation. And they ask what size kennel, what breed a dog, and uh, they say, okay, we got it reserved. You just pay a hundred bucks when you get to the ticket counter the day you fly. That's all you do. So when I wanted to do the American Airlines flight, I booked my tickets and then called them up, and they said, oh no, you can't reserve a spot for a pet. You have to go through Air Cargo. We can't guarantee they're going to be on the same flight as you and that they'll arrive at the same time as you And So I called them right back and canceled my tickets within the 24-hour period because there's no way I was going to do that.
0: Yeah, no doubt. I mean, when you put them in the crate, they don't put them on the conveyor belt and send them down with your
1: luggage, do they? So there's like, I don't know if you've watched them load a plane. There's like two places that they put luggage. Uh, There's a spot in the back and then there's a spot, yeah, underneath. There's a spot in the back and then a, a spot in the front. And so the pets go on last in the spot in the front. So they do put them on the conveyor belt. And you, since they're like right before you get on the plane, you you see them put your pet on. And then they go up in there. And there must be somebody in there that's getting them situated. And then uh, what's really nice about it that Alaska does is they, when you get seated on your plane, they give you a sticker that says uh, Maverick is on the plane and safe and ready to go Hmm. cool that's pretty nice yeah
0: um so you're in iowa you've done some pheasant hunting of course right um Mm -hmm. what what part of iowa are you in and i think your season is still open right
1: it is yeah it's open until january 10th Um, okay i hunted out in western iowa uh well right now i'm in central iowa and, um, my brother-in-law, he's originally from Western Iowa. And so when I was up in Minnesota, woodcock and grouse hunting, uh, that was opening weekend of pheasant in Iowa. And so I jumped in the car after hunting woodcock and grouse and just beelined it for Western Iowa, picked up my nephew on the way. And we hunted the second day of opening weekend for pheasants. And, um, it was all their friends and my dad was with us. And then a couple of their sons, we went out and it was the best morning of pheasant hunting I've ever had in my lifetime. We, (laughs) we shot 17 roosters in an hour and I've never seen it like that in my life. Hmm. And I know there's pockets of, of hunting like that, but I have never experienced it.
0: Yeah. My, my hunt in Iowa this year was just phenomenal. Um, people still have the opportunity to get down there. That's the thing. There's still, yep. as we record, there's still a handful of days left in the season. Um, but if if somebody, you know, like Minnesota just closed, North Dakota just closed, South Dakota's still open, um, but it's miserable up here right now. I mean, I can't even, mm-hmm. to somebody that's not up here right now in Minnesota, I mean, my dog to, went out to take a crap yesterday and like there's no squatting. I mean, she's pooping <laughs> upwards. Like it's ridiculous. There's we're not talking inches. I'm I'm measuring it in feet right now. Um, you know, there's a legit in central Minnesota where I live, there's a legit two and a half feet of snow, you know, and then you know that's not including drifts. I mean, there's some places that drift, you know, several feet, but there's uh some places that obviously if the wind picks up here, hopefully it blows. So that the birds can find some food. What is it like in Iowa right now, where you're at? Do you have any snow at all?
1: So, right now, the snow's uh, 100% gone, and we just have a little dusting from last night. But I was out uh, like last week, and it had, right before this little warm up, it had snowed just a little bit, and the birds were holding so tight. It was amazing. Um, I, I mean, sometimes it's better hunting now late season than early season after they've been hunted for a couple weeks because they just don't want to fly. And, um, I know some people that have been hunting public land up in Northern Iowa and Northwest Iowa that are having really good late season hunting up there.
0: Are the snow conditions similar to what you have in the Northwest part in the North part?
1: I think so. We just drove through there on our way back. Uh, My wife's family is from Minnesota, and so we were just up there last week. And uh, there was snow, and then we had a little bit of warm-up, and it was pretty much almost all the way gone up there. And so I'm pretty sure – I always look on the, the Windy app. They have webcams all over the place. So I always look on there to see what the snow conditions are like, but I'm pretty sure it's less than Minnesota.
0: I'm uh, packing up here shortly to head down to Kansas to get after some quail. And I know you were in Kansas. Uh, had you hunted bobwhites there before? Or was this your first time?
1: I've hunted them there before. The first time I went down there uh, was in 2012 with uh, my old bird dog, Haley. She had never hunted them before. Uh, I have a friend from college that lives down there in the northeast part of the state. Uh, his name's Matt. And um, we I have friends everywhere. I do. Yeah. It's pretty nice. It's good to have an excuse to go see them. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Because, you know, a lot of them, they want to hunt behind a bird dog too. A lot of my friends don't have dogs and they're like, hey, bring your dog down. So um, last year uh, we were talking about trying to get together. Uh, His wife's family lives in Indiana. And so we were going to try to meet in the middle. And then he was like, well, why don't you just come down and hunt quail? And so right before we went back to Alaska last year, I went down there and hunted quail. And I'd already had my dog, Maverick, by then, but I didn't have a collar for him or anything. So I was just a little worried about yeah. him taking off and running away. And so he didn't get a hunt. So we were like, next year. Um, so the the cool thing about Kansas is they have a 365-day license rather than like a yearly license. Mm-hmm. So A season license, w- yeah. Yeah. So rather than a season license. So if you buy your license, on whatever date that is, it's good till that date next year. And so I bought my license in Kansas last year, January 6th. And so it was good till January 6th of this year. And so we just planned on, uh, hunting together before my license expired. And so I got two hunts out of one license. Didn't have to buy another a license down there. So Pro Pointer right they, there. Yeah, yeah. So we went down there, and they don't get a hunt over dogs a whole lot down there. And so, uh, man, it was really fun. We, we got into quite a few coveys, probably not as many coveys as we thought we were going to find. The weather was really nice down there. When we, we pulled in there on New Year's Eve, it was 60 degrees down there. Jeez. I hadn't seen that weather in quite a while, and it's like summer in Alaska, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so uh, I I took my family down there, and we got one little hunt in uh, right when we got there on New Year's Eve, and uh, we found one covey of quail and one rooster pheasant. you we are gonna lay off the pheasants though, so we shot one of those quail, and then the next morning we went out and hit a few different spots. And then in the evening, we really, we got into a really nice covey of birds, probably 18 birds. And we got a couple off the covey rise and then we're able to uh, get a couple more singles out of that group. And so we never really hammered them, but it was really fun to, to be able to hunt them down there.
0: Okay. So you've, you hunted, uh, 14 different species of birds this year that you, that you brought back home with you. Um. Could you pick one? Like if you said, if your wife said, nope, you only get to pick one
1: now, uh, what would you <laughs> pick and why? So I think it'd be a toss up for me uh, between Murns quail and scale quail. Those mm-hmm. were the two, the two most fun hunts this trip and probably the most fun I've ever had in my life, uh, bird hunting. And so. If I could get away with saying Arizona desert quail, that would be. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> that would be yep. what I would want to say. Yeah, and, it
0: it's a special place down there. I mean, it's warm. The terrain is beautiful. Uh, the birds are a riot for their own reasons. Each each species, you know. I mean, it really is. When people say like, "Where would you go?" I always tell them like, Idaho quail hunting, Idaho chucker. You know, it's awesome. huns up there too. But Arizona's pretty special,
1: yeah, definitely. it's a, it's a really special place
0: with your dog now going through what you put him through this year, um you know, and I know for a fact, if you go if you had the same conditions up in Alaska when you get back home and you took him after those ptarmigan, i I he would just be a rock star up there. Um, you know. I think it's just really good for a dog to experience a lot of variety and and have to learn. Mm-hmm. You know, and now you probably could take him back even I mean maybe the prairie chicken would be a different experience just because of what you put him through but like you he had to have been proud of what you've watched out there. And do you have advice for somebody with a young dog that might be struggling?
1: Yeah, I mean It's just like kind of what you said uh, to the the person that wrote in is that just get your dog on wild birds. Wild birds make a bird dog. Um, There's just so much proof for that um, in my own experience and other people's experience that I've heard is just get them out there and let them mess up. Um, When I first got Maverick, uh, we went out tarbigan hunting and it was january in alaska so there's snow all over the place and i wasn't worried about him catching a bird it's like literally impossible for him to move faster than a bird on that snow but i just let him run after birds have as much fun as he could realize he can't catch them and he within a couple hunts he was pointing and not moving (laughs) (laughs) And so, uh, we just kind of carried that on. I got him out as much as I could. And then you have that really long lull of no hunting that, like he said, you really work on that obedience training and get them to do what they want and make it fun for them and, uh, work on those, work on those obedience things while the season's not going on and Mm -hmm. and then when the season starts it's just second nature
0: yeah and your season technically in alaska goes till is it april 1st
1: yeah so uh on the kenai peninsula the last day of the season's march 31st and then um in interior alaska the ptarmigan season goes till uh, april 30th it's a really long season i don't know if i'll make it up up for that or not, but, uh, yeah, we have a, a really short period in between, in between seasons, but it's still, it's still a good four months that you can work on those things. And I would just say for somebody who's uh, frustrated or, or just maybe a little nervous that they have a young dog, um, I mean, it doesn't matter, just lower your expectations or, or set goals. Like you just want to get your, your dog on birds and you can have fun Different levels of success, like I was talking about before. Yeah,
0: yeah. Consider the experience for sure. And on that too, you know, depending on the training method that you choose, uh, go back to the start again and again. Mm -hmm. If you're frustrated, go back to the basics. Go back to square one in your training and the obedience part and the foundations, the fundamentals, all that again and again and again and again and again and again and just keep going. Just keep doing it. Because if you hold that dog accountable, they will turn around. They will click. It does happen. I I think I can say pretty confidently that I'm proof to that because I've had a, a bold dog that has unbelievable drive that didn't want any part of what I had to say to her. But right now, she's on fire. She has pointed hundreds of birds this year. Hundreds. And I'm not mm-hmm. exaggerating. She's holding pheasants at hundreds of yards roosters hens both uh until i get there five ten minutes i mean that's ridiculous for a dog to hold a bird that long but in this deep snow it's taken me that long to get there and she's waited and there's a bird and she knows the distance like they learn you know different speeches she used to be able to hold the hens beautifully but the roosters she would push them out because Mm -hmm. they wouldn't they wouldn't let her get as close as a hen would, you know, and I kept thinking, is she ever going to figure this out? Yeah, they do. And if I didn't continue to push her out there, not push her, take her out there and give her those experiences, um, you know, and I will say um, last, the end of last year when we weren't filming and I was hunting with her, I wouldn't take a shot if she didn't stop. She had to have stopped, you know, because I didn't want her, to continue to think that part of her job was to flush the bird you know so for me that was a big deal and i was i was holding her accountable you know and so yeah it's frustrating because i'm working really hard out there too and i want to put a bird in my vest but now i'm seeing the results of all of this training all the fundamentals going back again and again and again and finally she's like all right we're gonna do it your way and now she's just fun it is so fun so I'm, I'm so glad you got to experience so many different places. Um, I've been following along with you, and we've been staying in touch throughout the hunting season, which is great to see your success. Um, for somebody that's, you know, I always tell people, if you have the opportunity to go hunt a bird that you've never hunted before, do it. Um, were you ever intimidated, Eric? And if, if so, um, what advice might you have for somebody that's considering a bird hunt out of their comfort
1: zone? I would say the only, the only hunt that I was intimidated on was the prairie chicken hunt. Um, it was a place I never, I had actually been to the, the grasslands before to a prairie dog hunt when I was younger. So I had been there, but not for almost 20 years. And so it really wasn't experience And, Uh, leading up to the trip, I almost was getting cold feet about it because we didn't have to go there and we could have hunted pheasants, something that was familiar for both my dad and I for the same amount of time that we had planned and stayed closer to home or whatever, gone, even gone to South Dakota to do that. But I kept coming back to like, what's the goal here? The goal is to go find prairie chickens. And then once we find them, hopefully we can shoot shoot one. And so um, I don't know exactly for me what it was that finally helped me overcome that. Uh, I guess you could call it fear. But I finally just realized, like, if you never follow through with what your goals are, then they're never going to happen. And if you just always do what's comfortable, then you're never going to experience those new things.
0: Hmm. That's good advice. I think we'll leave it right there. Uh, it's a new season. I think it's a new, not a new season. I shouldn't say that. A lot of seasons are coming to a close. It's a new year, and mm-hmm. there's another season on the horizon. Uh, now is as good a time as any to set some goals, and we hope that you knock those goals out this year. Uh, It's a lot of fun trying, and you learn so much when you put yourself into unfamiliar territory. Eric, safe travels back home. I will stay in touch, and I can't wait for you to see the episode that we filmed together up there in Alaska.
1: Sounds good. Thanks. Looking forward to it.
0: All right, we'll be back next week. I will be in Kansas, God willing. uh, There'll be some birds in the bag. It's still hunting season, friends. I hope you're getting out there. If you have the opportunity to cross a border into a state that's still open, hope you take it. Uh, Bring your family with, bring friends, bring somebody that doesn't necessarily hunt and doesn't understand why you love it because they could quickly understand why you do. Uh, Be safe out there, everyone. We'll see you next week on the next episode of The Flush Podcast.